Stephen Harmison with a slower ball. One of the great balls. That's a big hit. That's going all the way. Robert Sandals comes to the pick. That's on the roof. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Top Edge podcast after a week off. Good to have the week off after about nine hours of content on the podcast the week before. So yeah, uh, good to be back. That's for sure. Callum, how are you doing? Yeah, well, thanks. Well, thanks. Yeah. Um, just had a few things going on that meant we didn't didn't go on um, last week, which is fine. And um, yeah, um, you basically got two episodes in the previous week. So, you know, um, not too much in terms of volume of content, I suppose. Yeah, that, that's it. Uh yeah, been a very wet couple of weeks, that's for sure. Still haven't had any uh, any cricket played in Canberra as of yet, so we're now three weeks behind. I know Melbourne uh, Grey Cricket has also had the first month off, so they're not starting till November. It's uh, it's not looking good, but we'll see how this rain uh, rain stops eventually. Uh, plenty of cricket internationally on at the moment, though. WBBL and the, the World Cup, obviously. And this week, we learned that Ben Stokes wants to reduce the size of the boundary ropes after Reese Topley got injured. And, of course, we saw the UAE batter uh, as an Afal Khan trip over that rope. That is a, a great video. Definitely go watch that one. Uh, before we get into the content, though, make sure you leave a, a rating review of the podcast. Check out all the, the videos on YouTube and, and uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram for more updates and quick analysis during the week. But we're going to start with the biggest competition in the world at the moment, the WBBL. And uh, we'll just go over the table to start with. The Heat, the Scorch, and the Sixers all on top. They've got three wins from their four games. So they're on six points. Then Hobart's all by the, themselves there on uh, two wins from their three games, so they're a game behind there as well. The Strikers, Renegades and Thunder, all with the one win, and then the Stars right down the bottom with uh, with no wins, but that's not really surprising, is it, from, from what we said a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, I mean, it's disappointing because the Stars showed flashes, particularly against Perth, that they have the ability to compete. But, yeah, they're just, um, you know, we, we saw that there's probably going to be a bit of inconsistency and, um, you know, it's hard Um Falcon's doing her best, but it's difficult when you lose those two kind of really ace um, batting threats. And um, yeah, they're still trying to integrate together. I think they're still able to get a couple of wins, but yeah, they haven't started all that well, which is kind of what you'd have expected. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think they'll, yeah, obviously they'll win a couple of games that all, all teams do. It'll be hard to go winless. Uh, the best performances from the from the competition so far, though, so Georgia Redmayne right up the top with the runs, 183, high score of 98, not out. Unlucky to not get 100 there, but uh, it is what it is. She's uh, dominating once again, no surprise. A bit of a surprise for me, though. Erin Burns, 143 runs, but at a strike rate of 155. She's uh, scoring the fastest in the competition and hitting a lot of runs. That's, uh, yeah, not really one that we pointed out during the previews. No, no. Well, there wasn't too much too much about Erin Burns, um, you know, kind of previous to the season. Um, she's kind of been in and out of the team a bit, you know, um, which, which happens, you know, for personal reasons, that sort of thing. But, yeah, um, I think she's quite close with um, Elise Perry. And with Elise Perry being in good form, um, I think she's responded with good form of her own. And um, whenever she's come in, and she's come in kind of a little bit more down the order, you know, four, five, that sort of thing. And um, she's come in and she's had an impact every time. And I think that's exactly what you want to see from a top order batsman. And um, that's really what she's providing, you know, um, to supplement Healy, who's been streaky, and um, Bates, who's also been a little bit streaky, um, it helps to have, you know, Perry and Burns come in and um, really, really solidify the uh, the batting total. Absolutely. Perry's uh, yeah, hit two centuries, as uh, two half centuries, as you said. 
really um, you know, putting a hand up for that spot back in the Australian T20 team. Obviously, a couple of open positions there. And she's also bowling a little bit quicker than uh, we've seen in the last few years, which is, is good to see. But someone who's really bowling quicker is Darcy Brown. She hit 128 kilometres an hour. That's the fastest ball in the WBBL. She's, she's just a little bit away from that 130 mark. But I think we might see it by the end of the year. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, the pitches have been pretty well. The pitches in Mackay have been good for um, bowling, um, fast bowling particularly. Um, watching, you know, Ismail and, uh, you know, Brown, like you mentioned, and um, bowlers like that hit the pitch really hard and go really fast and that sort of thing. It's been really good to see. And, um, yeah, I, I um, some of the um, batsmen facing Brown, they've kind of just been swinging in hope um, because they can't quite they can't quite see the speed. Um, so, you know, that's uh, that's really encouraging signs and um, really promising stuff um, from her, um, especially considering, you know, her development in terms of the international game and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the batters are looking a little bit like uh, Afghanistan was against Mark Wood last night. Just a, a little bit too quick to get onto, that's for sure. Uh, the Sixers, though, their bowlers are doing well. Sophie Eggleston, no surprises. She's got eight wickets. But Maitland Brown, also eight wickets there. And over at the Thunder, Lauren Smith has the only five-wicket haul of the tournament. Yeah, yeah, that was um, that was impressive stuff from Lauren Smith. Um, she's looked really good. Like, um, even when she's been going for runs, she's not like she stayed consistent to her plans, which I think is really important. Yeah. And um, she just looks like she's unshakable. You know, it doesn't matter if she gets smashes for six; she can bowl the same ball and get a wicket the next ball, and that's yeah. kind of exactly what you want with um with a bowling option like that. And it's exactly what the Thunder need if they're um if they're to win some games. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to some of the teams, though. We'll start with the Strikers. They uh, were disappointing early, lost the first couple of games, and Megan Shoot and Darcy Brown bowled well. But, you know, they're relying on three all-rounders in, in Dalton, McGraw and Barsby to get through those overs. Uh, Amanda Jane Wellington also didn't quite perform in those first couple of games, and, you know, that meant that they couldn't quite get the job done with the ball. Yeah, I mean... Dotton's a very good bowler. So, you know, you're okay with her covering four of those overs. That's not too big of a deal. But when particularly McGrath is um, bowling four consistently, um, I'd say she's a batting all-rounder. She's a batter that bowls a bit. And um, you definitely see it quite a bit. You know, the um, the batsmen, when they're out at the crease, they see McGrath come on. They're like, okay, it's time to get going and that sort of thing. Um, you know, um, that's just a circumstance of the strategy and a circumstance of the, uh, the strikers lineup. Um, maybe they need to shake things up, put another full-time bowler in um, because they've been okay batting-wise. Yep. Um, and I think, you know, you can you can sacrifice maybe maybe an all-rounder or maybe like a lower-order batsman for another bowler just to shore up that kind of that side of things because that's been that's been where where they've been losing the games really. You know, once Brown and Shoot have bowled out and they often bowl out early because they're trying to be, you know, attacking. Um, yeah, they don't have much in terms of strike bowling. Yeah, as you said, though, their batting's been been okay. They haven't, you know, their top three, but Katie Mack, Dodden and, and Laura Walbart, they haven't, they've all fired at times, but not at the same time. And I think if those three can all go at the same time, uh, especially towards finals, you know, build up together and that kind of thing, hit the peak at the right point, uh, they'll post massive scores every every game. So I don't think it's too much to worry about at this point. Uh, interesting ideas about dropping a, a batter there. I think that's probably the way to go. Um, when you've got such a strong top three there, I don't think you need, you know, a batter at seven or, or six or whatever. So, yeah, that pr- that's probably the way to go. The sixes, though, we already mentioned a little bit. Perry and Burns and Healy all putting their hands up at different points. And Lauren Cheadle also looking in some good for- form early, uh, taking the opening over in every match so far. 
Yeah, really happy to see Lauren Tudor. Um, she looked a little bit shaky in her first game, but you know, mm. it's the first game. I think there were a few players who were feeling a bit shaky. But um, yeah, no, she's um she's tightened it up and she's been looking really good um ever since. And um the Sixers, they've enjoyed having a heavy early schedule. They've um they've, you know, they haven't had too much time to like overanalyze, which I think maybe was part of the problem um last season, overanalyze what's happened in their games, and they've just gone out there and they've played. And um it's really it's really worked, you know. We um we've seen we saw Healy have a good innings, which was really encouraging to see. Um, we've seen Bates hit a couple of good, good, good shots. She hasn't quite gotten going in the way that you'd maybe expect Susie Bates to get going, but she's still very talented. And um, you look like she's she looks like she's on the edge of a really big score. Um, Perry's been really good, really consistent, and on both sides too. She's bowled really well. She's um she's batted quicker, you know, exactly what we wanted to. She's um. And she she's been clearing the rope a little bit, but she's she's mainly just been looking to um you know take twos and threes, um find the gaps when she can, and um yeah she's just looking in really good touch and um everything the ball has tried doesn't quite seem to come off. So, you know um I also think she really enjoys um batting with um any of those three you know Burns Bates or um Healy. I think she really likes all those individuals, and I think that that translates well in terms of how she plays. Yeah, absolutely. And onto the stars. They're batting with, you know, their three internationals at the top, Winfield Hill, Rodriguez, and Capsi. They only made 11 runs between the three of them in the last game. Um, I think the stars problem though is, is more their domestic players. They don't quite have that domestic talent that other teams have, you know, uh, Annabelle Sutherland's there, obviously, but apart from that, maybe Tess Flintoff might be on the cusp of Australian selection at some point. But apart from that, there's a, there's a lack of talent there. I think. And um, if those three internationals don't perform at the top, I just don't see them winning a lot of games. Yeah, well, Winfield Hill looked really good in that first game. You know, she played really well. Um, and, you know, she's a big striker of the ball and um, got a good eye, which um, I think you don't often think about when you look at um, opening bats and that sort of thing. But it, it really is quite quite relevant when you watch Winfield, Winfield Hill play. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think Capsie you got to think about she's a teenager. Yeah, <laughs> um, so, you know, it's going to be hard to perform every single time, especially when you're, you know, this this kind of ace um, prospect in terms of international women's cricket and that sort of thing, and all eyes are on you. Um, she's bowled pretty well. She's She's been pretty good good on that side. And, um, look, I think I think she'll settle down and she'll start to put some more totals on. Um, but, yeah, it's um it's been a bit... I think when you lead with your three international players, it's going to be tricky early in the season because they're just not all that integrated with the team. Yep. And, uh, you know, that's just a just unfortunate kind of circumstances with the Stars team and that a lot of them kind of don't have the same chemistry that a lot of the other teams do just because they've had a bit more turnover and um, a few unforeseen events that have kind of um, changed up what their approach is. Absolutely. And then off the Scorchers, it's usually the, you know, the Scorchers batting that, uh, that that makes the big difference, you know, Divine and, and Mooney at the top of the order. But it's their bowlers this year that's been good so far. You know, they kept the Thunders to 88 in 20 overs, the Hurricanes to 109, and then the Stars to 110. You know, the Thunder beat them in the last match, but uh, the Scorchers bowlers have, have really been the difference there. Yeah, the Scorchers have been really, really good. I mean, you know, we talked about in our previews how that their batting is what's going to win them games and their batting is, you know, what makes them elite and that sort of thing. But yeah, their bowlers have kind of, um, they pulled out uh, a Michael Jordan and said, well, that became personal with me. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, they um, really performed and they've been keeping, you know, teams to very low totals and they've been just 
really relentless with their approach and they've been they've been bowling in partnerships really well and I think that that often gets lost in T20 cricket you know they go okay I need to put this one in and this one in this one in um Perth haven't been afraid to put bowlers in for two even three overs and um just keep keep going with a certain approach and I think it's really worked for them yeah absolutely so who do you think is gonna you know take the momentum going forward for me I think the strikers look the best team at the minute. I think, you know, they're finally getting that form together and the Scorchers, obviously, if they can get the batters scoring the kind of runs they were last year, they won't lose with that bowling lineup. So I, I, I still think it's those two teams that are, are really up the top. I really like the Heat this year. Watching the Heat, they've been really, really good. Um, I'm quite disappointed that Jessica isn't staying for the whole time because yeah. she's been really good. Um, but yeah, their, their top orders looked really solid. Harris has been good. Um, Laura Harris has been good. Um, Redmayne has been excellent, as we as we mentioned at the top of the episode. And um, yeah, they just look like um, they don't panic, which is very important. And um, you know, they um, they produce results when they when they need to. And um, having Redmayne, I think, is the form batsman by quite a ways right now. I think some of the other batsmen, like Mooney, for example, hasn't quite gotten going as well. Like she's still batting well, but hasn't quite gotten going to the same level. Um, Perry's kind of working kind of captain's knocks. So she's sort of just kind of steadying things and controlling the pace and that sort of thing. Whereas Redmayne's just been going and going and going really well. And um, I think if Redmayne can keep that form and um, if she gets that help around the top order with her, um, their bowls have been pretty good as well. So, um, you know, we haven't seen that much Amelia Kerr in terms of batting and she's True. very talented. So, you know, they've, they've got a really nice team and I think they're, um, they're, they're holding the momentum going forward in the tournament. Interesting. And, and the final one on the BBL, the, uh, I feel like the competition is about to be lost uh, with the World Cup kind of taking over, not just like in viewer numbers, that kind of thing, but, you know, they've also got access to what are now the worst grounds in the country in terms of, you know, professional cricket. Obviously, the, the World Cup is taking the better grounds, you know, Adelaide Oval and the best grounds in the country. And then there's still, you know, the March Cup and the Sheffield Shield going, and they're taking those secondary grounds, you know, the Junction Oval, that kind of thing. Uh, so now the WBBL is going to be put to, you know, country grounds effectively. I think it's unfortunate, you know, they've, they've kind of missed a trick. You know, the Marsh Cup hasn't really been getting the viewer numbers that they've exactly wanted. Yeah. And the WBBL has been getting good viewer numbers. And WBBL has been getting good buzz because it's been good quality of cricket. Yeah. So I think they should have probably looked at that and gone, okay, maybe those secondary grounds we give to the WBBL. And yeah. we, um, you know, we sort out, we have like series, kind of like they did at the start of the season mm. um, in different places with different teams. And, um, you know, just um, just format the schedule that way and make it, you know, so that it's a better better product because I think ultimately you know the facilities the the funding of those those you know what are effectively tertiary grounds isn't to the same standard and as such I feel the quality of the cricket is probably going to suffer. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of low scores in the next uh, next few weeks, that's for sure. But we'll move on to the to the World Cup. We'll look back before we look forward and we'll have a look at the group stage. Uh, what a way it was to start with Namibia beating Sri Lanka. That was a, a the tournament really couldn't have started any better. Yeah, that was incredible. I was I was buzzing. I, I asked you if you were at the game. Unfortunately, you weren't. But oh well. Um, yeah, it was um, it was great to see. You know, that that's the best thing about World Cup. See, seeing underdogs, you know, perform and perform really well. And Namibia were really good um, throughout the group stage. You know, they're they're a talented team. And um, um, Sri Lanka, I think, just uh, kind of underestimated them, and it really cost them. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, it's um, it was actually a really exciting group stage. And I'm really disappointed that we're missing out on a few of the teams that were in the group stage because they were really good and had some great characters there. And um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's one of those things that they've decided um, group stage and then group stage plus, which apparently <laughs> is the new thing with um, cricket. So, you know, they're just uh, continuing with that format. And um, I don't know, maybe if, if enough people complain about it or if the viewers aren't quite the same as they maybe wanted them to, maybe they'll they'll go back and look at maybe just one big group stage. That might be a way to go, but <laughs> that's just me rambling. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, pushing the games to Geelong and, and Hobart is not a help. Um, obviously, much smaller populations than on the, on the, you know, in the cities and that kind of thing. We probably wouldn't have got massive crowds in Namibia, to, uh, to Namibia games anyway. Like, even that England-Afghanistan game in Perth Stadium, the crowds weren't great last night. So, it's not so much about crowds, but about giving these smaller teams opportunities to play in front of, uh, in, in the big grounds and, you know, once they get through to the second stage, uh, they will get that opportunity, obviously. Uh, but one team we're not going to see in the, in the second stage is the West Indies. Uh, you know, have won two World Cups in the past. Probably, you know, the kings of T20 cricket for a long time. They were T20 cricket. You know, they're the, they're the team that first started to take it seriously. Uh, and they were just terrible in this tournament. You know, obviously, Narayan and Russell aren't there. Uh, Pollard recently retired. and They're miss, miss, missing a bunch of power, but to lose to Scotland, to be bowled out for 118 is, is just not good enough, really. You look at the personnel on the West Indies team and you think they're grossly underperforming and you think that because it's true. Yeah. They, um, you know, I think body language has spoken volumes in terms of the West Indies. You know, you looked at Nicholas Puran after that first game and he just looked mm. defeated and just really, really disappointed. And, um, you know, he, he spoke well and he said the right things, but, you know, he didn't seem to believe it. It looked like he didn't believe it. And, you know, when your captain is that devoid of confidence and that sort of thing, it kind of sets a tone. And, um, yeah, no one at the West Indies bar, probably Holder, which is kind of always the case, um, really looked any good. And, um, yeah, it, um, it translated, you know, that they're all professional cricket teams. And, you know, if, you, if you're not, not on your game, you're going to lose. And that's, well, that's what happened. Yeah, absolutely. So they lost to, uh, they beat Zimbabwe, which, you know, not a big surprise, but then lost to Ireland in that last game as well. So Scotland and Ireland, the losses there. Uh, just not enough aggressive intent at the top of the order, really. And obviously, Hetmeyer's not here either. He missed the plane and then decided not to come. And their bowlers were, you know, they're, they're fast. They have a lot of fast bowlers, but they go for a lot of runs. Uh, I think that, you know, their three bowlers, apart from Joseph, have all gone for more than 10 runs and over this year that's just not going to win your games, especially in Australia where the ball's just going to sit up nicely if you're bowling at good pace. So, uh, yeah, I think they probably underestimated, you know, Scotland and Ireland and, and Zimbabwe a little bit. They're all, all really good teams, obviously, Zimbabwe and Ireland, full, full members. And then Scotland are probably, you know, just on that next run below, uh, could probably play test cricket as well. Uh, but, yeah, just, just really disappointing. But, you know, Scotland look improved, which is good to see, beating the West Indies and then came close against Ireland. Didn't make it through, but... Uh, they look to be, I guess, what the thirteenth best team, just outside of of those test playing nations. Yeah, they look good. Um, they looked really good in that West Indies game. And um, what I really like about Scotland is that they have uh, a good sense of um, team spirit. You know yeah. that they all get on, they all banter with each other. Um, they uh, 
they, you know, kind of communicate with each other quite a lot in terms of plans, which you don't actually see with that many cricket teams, even the really top ones, you know, it's kind of just one, two or three people kind of chatting and being like, okay, yeah, we'll do that. Whereas with Scotland, they're all kind of together and they're all like, okay, yeah, maybe we should do this or do that or that sort of thing. And um, they got a really good spirit about them, which is really nice. And, um, you know, when, when they're on their game, when they bowl accurately, particularly, that's when they're very good. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's the step away that they are. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, Scotland and Ireland benefit a lot from their players being able to play county cricket, obviously, you know, a, a decent standard. And then Namibia as well, they benefit, you know, South Africa is pretty close. They play a lot of cricket against them and even against Zimbabwe. So there's good sides all around these teams in the West Indies. Just, uh, you know, I don't know, underprepared, maybe uh, just, yeah, just not good enough. Even in the last World Cup, they weren't good enough. So it's not a big surprise. The good news for them is though, they won't need to qualify for the next World Cup because they're hosting it. So uh, a bit of luck for them, that's for sure. Uh, Ireland finally got it together in their last match. Paul Sterling with 66. And Balburnie, who didn't seem like he could hit the ball off the square in the first couple of games, hit 37. Before Lorcan Tucker hit 45 to chase down that 150 pretty comfortably. Uh, I think they could I think they could uh, challenge some of these formation members uh, during, during the Super 12s. Yeah, I reckon they can too. Um... Ireland look quite disciplined. Um, and I think, you know, when you're a smaller team like Ireland or like Zimbabwe or something like that, when you have a disciplined approach to your game, then you have a chance to be, you know, one of these big teams because either they, they, they could lose their heads, which we often see happen. We saw that happen with Australia against Zimbabwe. Um, and, you know, it can definitely happen to England. It can happen to any of the teams. And um, it's, it's something that they're going to look at. They're going to look at it as an opportunity. And I think Ireland are going to rather ambitiously look at the Super 12 and go, we're going to qualify for the knockout stages. We're going to give it our very best and we're going to qualify. And I think, you know, having that mindset will be, will be the best way for them to go forward. And um, who knows, maybe we will see them in the elimination stages. That would, that would be very good to see. Uh, Sikandar Raza was a, was a beast for Zimbabwe once again. You know, he's, he's the best player in that country by an absolute mile. Uh, scores of 82, 14 and 40 and then took a bunch of wickets along the way as well. Uh, I think an IPL contract is going to be coming his way, that's for sure. Yeah, surely. Um, I was kind of surprised he wasn't selected in the BBL draft because he was eligible, but not that it would be a good replacement player for Liam Livingston, I think. Yeah, that's a good shout. That's a good shout. Um, he's he's a very talented player. And, um, you know, I guess some people look at him and shy away because they're like, oh, he's 35, he's 36, you know, he's, yeah. he's a bit old. <laughs> um, but look, if you're still performing, you know, at cricket and he balls spin, so he's not exactly, you know, really straining his body that much. Um, you know, I think he's still he's still a weapon and he's still a commodity. You know, you see see players play longer now. You know, like Tahir, for example, he's still an elite level, um, short short form um player, and, sh- and he's you know thirty six as well. So, um, I think Raz is definitely a good a good option to look at, and I think you know he'll go for a modest fee in the IPL auction, and um he'll he'll play a bit, and they'll see okay he's actually really talented, and um then that might be that might be his route towards other other franchise teams. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's, he's definitely one to keep an eye on. So the teams that got through, Sri Lanka, Ireland, uh, the Dutch and Zimbabwe. So they're, um, you know, they're four really good teams. I think Ireland could, could cause an upset. Zimbabwe and the Dutch will probably beat Bangladesh because Bangladesh are not a good T20 team. They're lucky to have qualified automatically. I don't think they would have made it through these group qualifiers. And uh, But for me, Sri Lanka are, are pretty unlucky to have not finished second in their group because I think playing those Asian teams, you know, India and Pakistan being in that group would have helped them a lot having just won the Asia cup. But unfortunately for them, you know, they come in to the Australian group, Australia, New Zealand, that kind of thing. And, and I don't see them beating those teams. 
Look, anything can happen with Sri Lanka. And um, judging by what happened with Australia in the first game, anything can happen with Australia. So <laughs> I suppose we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Um, what we know is that they're, they're, they've got a lot of spirited individuals. They always look like they're having fun when they're playing the cricket, which is really, really good to see. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate for them that they're in that group because it seems, it seems almost insurmountable a task for them to get through it. But, you know, once again, they're going to go for their very best. They're probably going to lose to New Zealand and then we'll just we'll see how it goes from there. Yeah. Uh, and just to finish up on this section, I think we should talk about the separation of the tournament. You know, these, these qualifiers played in, in Hobart and Geelong, it just, it, it didn't feel like the world cup, you know, and, and even the broadcasters weren't giving it the attention that, uh, you know, they gave the game last night, for instance, you know, there's no big builder. Um, a lot of the commentators barely know the players' names or, you know, don't know how to pronounce them. And from the ICC, that's just, just not really good enough. I don't know if it was a, you know, a money saving measure you know, to, to put these in the middle of nowhere, have them all grouped up and, you know, play every second day. But, yeah, for me, just just not really good enough. And thankfully, the 2024 World Cup won't have this. There's going to be five groups of four teams, and, and that's how they're going to do it in the group stages. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I don't know. Some people were, you know, there's a lot of crickety cricket conspiracy theorists are out there, and a lot of them seem to think that it was intentional that the ICC were hiding these teams so that the public can't see their talent. Um <laughs> I think that's a little bit melodramatic, yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I think it probably was a cost-saving measure. It was probably like, oh, look, we want to get some games in these venues. Um, this is a great opportunity to do that so that they get their games and then we get all the good grounds for when we, are, when we have the main bit of the tournament, when we have the real tournament, which is kind of a bit of a cynical way to look at it, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's silly. Um, I don't like group stage and then group stage plus. Um, I, I like the one group stage and then the eliminators. Um, so I'm happy that that's what the next one's going to be. And um, yeah, I think, you know, I think they experimented with the Asia Cup and now they've experimented here. And I think they should probably look at it and go, okay, this didn't work. Yeah. And, um, you know, just move along from it. Yeah, absolutely. We'll move on to the Super 12 stage, though. Group stage plus, as you called it. Uh, Australia got absolutely smashed last night and uh, it, was, it was not enjoyable to watch. Uh, New Zealand came out, smashed 46 in the first three overs, thanks to Finn Allen, who came in replacing Martin Guptill, which was a, you know, a brave choice, but one that clearly worked out. Um, Australia just used the five bowlers. Marcus Stoinis bowled four, which I think is a bit of a mistake. Didn't go to Glenn Maxwell at all. Um, doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. And then 200 for three was what the Kiwis posted. You know, looked like a you know, match-winning score pretty much from the beginning there. And then the Australians just found no consistency with the bat. Only Glenn Maxwell hit, you know, 28 from 20, not a bad effort. And then Pat comes down the order with 21, but, you know, regular wickets and, and it was just, yeah, not good enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, New Zealand looked great in that game. Yes. New Zealand looked like, you know, they, they probably saw the talk pre-tournament of all the favourites and they saw that their name wasn't in there and they went, hang on a second, we're New Zealand. We, we, get, to the, we get to the finals of every World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they showed why, um, you know, particularly with Allen and Conway at the top, they played mm -hmm. really, really well. Um, Nisham came in and had a pretty exciting knock. Um, and yeah, I mean, when, when New Zealand's middle order bat batters are performing, they're really dangerous, really potent team. But if their openers, you know, keep putting out stance like that, then they won't need them. <laughs> and, you know, New Zealand's strength has always been their bowling. And we saw it again, you know, Bolt, Salvi, you know, took five wickets between them, three wickets for everyone's favorite left arm orthodox spinner, Mitchell Santner. 
um, that 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 made me chuckle a bit. Um, Ish Sodi clean clean bowled. Um, mm. One of one of Australia's batsmen, which is good to see. Um, you know, you and I are big fans of Ish Sodi, so um, it's nice to see. And uh, yeah, it's um, you know, New Zealand look like based on you know form, New Zealand look like the team to beat in in that group, and um, that's really good to see. And um, I think um, they'll welcome the change of being the juggernauts for once. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. There's still a path for Australia to qualify, obviously. Uh, top two go through. So if they win the next four, they should make it pretty comfortably. And even if they win three of the next uh, three of the next four, they might get in. Their net run rate obviously took a massive hit last night. They're at minus five or something. So it's really going to come down to that England-Australia game, I would have thought, at the MCG, which is, you know, it's going to be the game of the, uh, the round, I would have thought. Uh, but we'll, we'll see what happens there. You know, Australia could quite easily bounce back. But someone I want to focus on is Marcus Stoinis. Just mentioned him before, but... Seven from 14 with the ball going at, uh, sorry, seven from 14 with the bat and then going at 10 and over with the ball from your all-rounders, just not really good enough. And, you know, they've brought Cameron Green into the squad. Cameron Green is a better bowler, bowls much faster, gets more bounce and hits the ball probably just as hard as, as Stoinis, if not harder. Uh, I think that's probably the, the swap they need to need to put in for the next match. If you're subscribing to the rhetoric of, you know, 12, 14 years ago, um, he's doing exactly what you want from an all-rounder. He can't bat, he can't bowl, and he can't field. Um, he can field, so he's got that going for him. Um, and, yeah, look, he's just – his form has been questionable for this whole year. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think reputation is kind of what kept him in, in you know, that, that part of the squad. But he just looks out of touch, and he just looks like he, he's not comfortable – um, with anything really, with bowling, with batting, anything like that. Um, and, yeah, you know, you can see his confidence is shaken. And, um, you know, Green played really well during those, um, you know, kind of lead-up T20s. Um, and I think he'll be hungry to, you know, perform. And um, I think he's a bit of a better bowler than than what an all-rounder bowler would be. I think he's a better oh. bowler than Marsh. He's a, definitely a better bowler than Stoinis. And... Um, you know, I think he'll he'll bring bring that level of um, of versatility that perhaps Australia didn't didn't have, um, particularly in this game, um, and yeah, that's probably that's probably the change I would I would go with as well. Um, yeah, I I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too panicky about the rest of the batters yet, merely because New Zealand were just very very good, but you know it is something something to watch as the tournament goes along. Yeah, I think you know David Warner was obviously unlucky. He had that ball, what it did, hit his arm and then hit his leg and then came off the back of his bat to hit the stump. So that's unlucky. And then you know I think the pressure really went on to Finch after that wicket fell. He tried to go a little bit too hard, and uh, you know found the fielder. And you know from there it just collapsed. So yeah, I don't think the the batters in general have uh, there's too many issues there. I think we'll be fine at that point. But the bowling is is something else I want to focus on. Pat Cummins, for me, I think we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, is, is not a great T20 bowler, uh, but Nathan Ellis is. He's not in the squad. They decided to pick Green over him, obviously, and uh, I think that's a that's a big mistake. Even Kane Richardson, I'd suggest, is probably a better death bowler than Pat Cummins, and you know, maybe it's reputation, but Pat Cummins keeps getting selected and he keeps going for big runs every game. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, um, you know. You think of Pat Cummins' game and you think of him in limited overs and you go, oh, he'd be quite good. Yeah. But he just, you know, I mean, he doesn't seem to really have a plan when he bowls in T20s. He kind of just bowls and hopes, yeah. which is 
uncharacteristic of Pat Cummins. And it's it's hurting the team, you know, that he goes for big runs. So he might like go full and, you know, he might bowl one dot ball and he goes, oh, okay, this is good. I'm going to go short now. And then he'll just get pulled away for four or six. And then, um, yeah, it's just, it's it's more reactive bowling rather than um, planned, which I think is always a flaw in terms of limited overs bowling. And um, yeah, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that Ellis missed out because Ellis is one of Australia's best T20 bowlers right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Hazelwood bowled well, um, which is good. And I suppose Cummins should maybe take Hazelwood as an example of, oh yeah, he's just, just a long, long form bowler. You know, he can't do anything limited overs. Um, he's probably got to take that attitude that Hazel had and be like, no, I'm great. I'm yeah. one of the best bowlers in the world, regardless of format. And I'm going to show you. Um, so maybe that's that's um, an example to for him to follow on um, in. And uh, yeah, because I don't see him being dropped from the team anytime soon just because of his influence. Yeah, I, I feel like Hazelwood and, and Cummins are trying to do the same job. Uh, you know, they both bowl very similar in T20 cricket, you know, hit back of a length. For Hazelwood, that's worked pretty well. I think it's part of his action. He's a little bit more skiddy than Cummins maybe. And uh, it gets a little bit more bounce as well, which is good. But Cummins... Yeah, he just doesn't quite seem to hit the lengths he needs to hit every ball, where I think uh, an Ellis would do that. I even think a Kane Richardson would be able to do that as well. So we'll see what happens maybe in a, in a few games' time. Obviously, we've seen Pat Cummins drop before. KKR dropped him halfway through the IPL season, so it's not out of uh, out of the question. But we'll move on to the other game that happened last night because these double headers are uh, intense and they're coming every day. England disposed of Afghanistan pretty comfortably on a... Difficult Perth pitch. You know, England made 200 and what was it, 220 their last couple of weeks. Uh, and this game, Afghanistan were bowled out for 112 and it took England 18 overs to chase that down. As someone who was covering that game, I can tell you it dragged on quite a lot. <laughs> well, you like it when the games drag on though. Oh, extra, <laughs> extra cash, yes, but yeah, it get a little bit boring. But um, yeah, no, I understand. Um, yeah, um, I saw that game happening. And um, I saw how it was progressing and I went to bed. Um, <laughs> so um, I caught up with the highlights in the morning. Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of, it was, it was exactly what you'd expect in terms of how the pitch was playing um, and the two teams, you know, England are maybe the favorites of the tournament, just the way they've played in the lead up. And, um, you know, they look, they look like they're really sharp in terms of their batting. Um, even though they took 18 overs, I think they were in control. You know, they kind of saw it and they're like, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll give a bit more to these to these fans in terms of rather than us chasing it down 11, we'll give them a bit bit more, a bit, bit longer, that sort of thing. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily how it went, but it's how it panned out. And, um, yeah, they, they were just in control the whole time. You mentioned Mark Wood. Um, he'll bowl fast on anything. He'll bowl fast on roads. He'll bowl, bowl fast on grass. He'll bowl fast wherever. Um, he's just Mark Wood. And... He looks like the most dangerous bowler in the tournament. And um, I'd be surprised if anyone was more threatening or if anyone ended up taking more wickets. Yeah, absolutely. That, the pace he was bowling with yesterday was incredible. I think every ball was above 150. Um, I think some of 156 was the quickest. You know, that's that's extreme pace. And yeah, especially in Perth, that's a, that's a, a very quick wicket as well. Plenty of bounce through there. Uh, the game, though, started at 10 o'clock last night. Uh, you know, East Coast time in Australia, seven o'clock in Perth. That is way too late for me. Um, you know, the majority of the Australian TV audience is in is over east, obviously, but apparently these games are not for that. They're for, I, I'd say WA, but that's not true. It's for Indian TV, isn't it? I suppose so. Um, look, that's 
probably where they get the most viewers, and that's understandable. Um, look, as long as it's on at a time in Australia where it is at least consumable, you know, t- 10's not great, but, you know, it was it was a Saturday night, so, you know, you, you could theoretically have time to time to watch it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was at prime time for Perth, so, yeah. you know, having, having T20 games at prime time somewhere is fine, you know? Um, and that's the way they're gonna they're gonna format the tournament. They're not really gonna have early games, um, which is probably where the WBBL will fill in. Yes. Um, and uh, you know, um, it is still great if you're a cricket fan. You can watch cricket all day. <laughs> can do. So you got that going for you. So um, you know, it's 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 the way they're presenting it, and it's the way they've decided it's the best uh, commercial decision. Mm. And you know. I, I can't argue with that. I don't know the numbers. So, you know, it's just a little bit unfortunate that, you know, the host nation maybe have some, you know, like I mentioned before, I, I saw a bit of the England and Afghanistan game and then I went to bed. So <laughs> Believe yeah. me, you didn't miss out on much. <laughs> uh, so the other game that's, that's going to be played tonight uh, is going to be a massive one. So India and Pakistan at the MCG, uh, they've sold out the standing room as well. So it could bump up above 105,000. Unfortunately, though, it looks like there's going to be a little bit of rain about. about. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's been East Coast Australia for, um, you know, the last six last months. Few. Yep. <laughs> for, for the last year. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, just Eastern Australia as a whole, like you mentioned, you know, Canberra, it's been raining all the time. Uh, it's been raining all the time in Melbourne. It's been raining all the time in Sydney. It's just raining all the time. We've decided to... um. You know, we didn't want England to feel like they were missing out, so we decided to make the weather like, like theirs. So um, very generous of us to uh, to make that choice. Um, look, hopefully the rain holds off um, and um, that you get a good good game. Um, look, you'll definitely get something, whether it's reduced overs um, remains to be seen. Yep. But I think with a game like Pakistan-India, reduced overs probably add to the drama. So I don't think they'll feel they've lost out on anything. Yeah, absolutely. I, I flew in from Melbourne yesterday and the airport was full of Indian and Pakistan supporters. So it's going to be big uh, no matter what happens there. What, what are the, some of the games you're looking forward to over the next week? For me, Australian Island is the big one. That's, uh, that's going to be a, a very fun contest. That will be fun. Yeah, I think England and Ireland will be a fun one too. Because, yeah. you know, I feel like there'll be some psychology there that you don't often see because they don't play each other all that often. So I think that'll be quite interesting to see. And um, I think Ireland, you know, coming out of a pretty, pretty strong um, group stage, I suppose, um, you know, will feel like they're able to, to push England and um, that sort of thing. So I think that'll be really good to see. Um, in terms of the other group, I mean, anything with India is probably must-see because they just have a very dynamic team. Um, so they're going to be very interesting to watch. And... Um, I'm not sure how else it'll develop over there. Like I think India are definitely getting through. I'm not sure who else will. So it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, India and the Dutch are the one to watch for me. That's going to be a lot of fun. Could see some records broken if India get onto it like uh, England did earlier in the year, uh, making almost 500 in that ODI. Uh, to finish off this part, though, who's going to make the most runs in the tournament? Who's going to take the most wickets? Well, I already mentioned most wickets before. It's going to be Mark Wood. Um, I think in Australia... His his bowling is perfect, 
and um, you know, with the way Stark started the tournament, like he, he looked threatening, mm-hmm. but he 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 wasn't quite the same level as Mark Wood was. So you know, I'd say he's the favorite in terms of taking the most wickets. Although I guess right now the wicket lead is Tim Southey, so maybe it's Tim. Um, but yeah, um, I think the New Zealand bowlers are going to do well, so they're going to be up there as well. Um, most runs right now, I have to say Conway. You know, he played really well for his ninety odd, and um, he he's seeing the ball really well and you know he's i feel like he still feels he has a point to prove in terms of his spot as a new zealand opener and this is definitely a way to prove it leading runs in the t20 so i think he'd be my favorite for the uh, top run scorer for me it's got to be josh butler uh, i think he's the most informed batter in the world at the minute and with the ball hasaranga from sri lanka i think will take the most wickets just because they rely on him so much like the, he's the most important player in that team and I don't see where their other wickets could come from. So I think he'll probably take two or three a game uh, while teams try to block him out. We'll move on, though, to six and out. Everyone's favourite segment, nice and quick here. Uh, we'll start off with this one. Do you think the T20 World Cup is missing something compared to a 50-over World Cup? There's a little bit of less magic around it? Yeah, I'd say that. Um, the reason I'd say that is because you don't have time to build the psychology of a match. Yeah. Um, 20 overs is just that little bit too condensed. Um, it's great for domestic cricket. And, you know, we've seen that with the WBBL, the BBL, the IPL, that sort of thing. It's great for that. Um, and it's um, great for the casual fans. You know, they can, you know, come in and look at it and be like, oh, look at all these big hits. Oh, it's really great. Cool. Um, but I think in terms of um, maybe like longer form cricket fans like you and I, um, you feel you can't really build the same narrative and the same story of 20 over cricket as you can with 50 over cricket. So I think, I think that's kind of, kind of the way it looks in terms of the presentation of the World Cup, at least for me. Yeah, I think there's a, a lack of history as well. 50 over World Cup, obviously a lot older, and I think that's you know, more context. Yeah, for sure. All right, so my first question is, um, WBBL has been great in terms of quality. Um, who do you think your... Um, maybe surprise performer has been so far? I think I've already mentioned it earlier, Aaron Burns, you know, striking 150 in the WBL is, you know, that's an incredible. If you whole team does like you're posting 180 plus every game, which is good. Um, yeah, just that faster scoring is really good. And, you know, she's hit a bunch of runs as well. So, yeah, I think if uh, she keeps that up, the Sixers are definitely putting their hand up for the title and doing a lot better than we predicted, which I think was sixth or seventh. So, yeah, uh, making us look a little bit silly, but that's always good. Uh, I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier as well, but should the WBBL have moved the season uh, either forwards or backwards and not clash with this World Cup? No, I don't think they should have. If they moved it, if they moved it forwards, then it would have been rained out a lot. Yeah. Um, if they moved it backwards, then I feel like it would kind of spoil the um, the 2023 schedule in terms of women's international cricket and that sort of thing. So I don't think they should have rescheduled it. Um, I think it's unfortunate and I think they definitely should have re-examined in terms of who goes on which grounds and that sort of thing. I reckon they definitely could have committed one or two of those elite grounds to the WBBL, but you know, it's more money in the T20 world cup and that's kind of where all the, all the funding's gone to and all the uh, focus has gone to. Um, I think it was just an unfortunate circumstance of the T20 world cup happened to happen in the same place. Um, that's it's rare that that's going to happen it's just one of those one of those things yeah easy to forget that this world cup was meant to happen here two years ago but you know covid stopped it so yeah i think that's part of the reason 
Yeah. All right. So um, my next question is, if you were suddenly given the power to um, select which teams went through in the T20 World Cup, who would you select and why? Uh, Australia, because <laughs> they're the best team. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, you know, you, I think the ICC tries to do this just by manipulating the schedule. But, you know, Australia, India, you just want the biggest teams playing on the biggest occasions, right? So India, Pakistan, you know, Pakistan-India final, which isn't out of the realms of possibility, would be uh, incredible. And then England, obviously, the best team as well. So I think those four, I think they're probably the four likely to get through anyway. So, uh, yeah, that, that's the way I'd go. Yep, fair enough. Makes sense. Um, I, I again feel feel sad for New Zealand because they always miss out on these conversations um, when they're a really good team to watch. But, you know, that's sort of how it goes. Yeah, my question's along similar lines. What four of the teams do you think will make it through to the semifinals? I think it'll be New Zealand, England, India, and Pakistan. Oh, no Australia. I want it to be Australia. I think that'll be great. Yeah. But just looking at the form of England... And looking at what New Zealand did to Australia, I can't see them getting one of those top two spots. I think, I think England has too much quality to drop more than one game. I think New Zealand has too much confidence to drop more than one game. So I think it'll be really difficult. And maybe on net run rate, um, maybe one of those teams will lose really badly um, in the in the game that they lose. So that could be that could be a difference maker. But right now, I just see it see that group being New Zealand and England. Yeah, might have to hope for a washout. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Um, so, yeah, speaking about weather and that sort of thing, should these big T20 stadiums or these big cricket stadiums or anything like that consider using a roof? Yeah, I'm surprised they haven't talked about moving the India-Pakistan game to Marvel Stadium. You know, it, it's there, it's ready to go, um, and it has a roof. Like, if it's raining uh, tonight for that game, why not just move it? Obviously, there's going to be a bunch of fans that miss out because, you know, there's 60,000 capacity compared to 105 or whatever, but uh, completely worth it to be playing the games. And, you know, it's pretty much the only cricket stadium in the world with a roof. So I don't think it's something that should be implemented everywhere. But if you have the facilities to do it, uh, why not do it? You know, um, it's, it's not impossible to make, take one of the pictures from the MCG so you're not using the terrible Marvel ones. But, yeah, I, I definitely think about going in, in that route. Another good example there is um, in baseball, they have a lot of retractable roofs and it yeah. doesn't seem to detract from the product of the, uh, of the game that you see. So I think that's something that the ICC or the various cricket boards need to look at and go, maybe we should have one or two stadiums with a roof just in case the weather forecast looks bad. Yeah, yeah an expensive venture, but I think one that will, it'll definitely happen eventually. That's for sure. Every new stadium that's built should have had a roof. I don't know why they didn't, didn't do it in Perth. Uh, we'll move on though to... Uh, a lot of the other cricket news that's going on around the world at the minute. The first one to touch on, Alyssa Healy was named Australian vice captain and kind of uh, just because of Meg Lanning being out, that means she'll probably captain Australia uh, in the series coming up against Pakistan and then possibly to the World Cup at the start of next year. I think it's a good call. Um, everyone around the team really likes Alyssa Healy. Mm -hmm. um, she's a natural leader, um, being being a wicketkeeper and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, she's a good spirit to have around. Um, she's a great motivator which I think you really like to see in a, uh, in a captain. And um, yeah, I think that was, that was probably the way to go, you know, in light of, in light of Haynes retiring and, um, you know, Lanning stepping away. Um, Healy is probably, probably the most logical choice and um, probably the safe choice. Maybe some would have liked to have seen Beth Mooney, for example, 
but I think it's 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 a smart choice. And um, you know, I think Healy doesn't necessarily need to perform. I mean, you want her to perform, but she doesn't necessarily need to perform to have a positive influence on her team. And I think that's that's why she was the she was the call there. I'm going to disagree with you. I've made this point before with Alex Carey and Travis Head. I don't think you have the second best captain captaining the national team. Uh, and Alyssa Healy is not the captain of the Sixers. Elise Perry is. Uh, if Elise Perry is the better captain, which, you know, domestic cricket would suggest she is, uh, I'd go down that route. Obviously, she doesn't necessarily get selected in the T20 team, although I think she will, uh, you know, over the next few months. But, yeah, I think you pick the best captain and maybe Alyssa Healy is the best captain, but if that was the case, why doesn't she captain the Sixers? There's, there's something going on there. But, uh, you know, there's, there's plenty of options in that Australian team. Do they really need a captain? Probably not. You know, there's so many... Uh, so many experienced players there now. Healy and, and Perry have played for what, 12 years or something. They're only in their early 30s. And then there's there's Beth Mooney and, you know, other ones. Georgia Redmayne will probably come in and, and even she could captain, you know. There's plenty of options there. Some of the bowlers, Jess Jonathan as well. Uh, enough options. That it's not really a big deal. We'll move on to Cricket Australia's NFTs and uh, some of Pat Common stuff. So Cricket Australia announced Crick Rush, which is essentially the platform they're using. Um it's going to be trading card based. So, you know, FIFA ultimate team style. Um, and then, you know, Pat Cummins put out a tweet in an Instagram about this, it's, you know, contractual obligations, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, a lot of hate towards him because of the environmental issues that come with NFTs, you know, uh, that's been, you know, everyone knows how this thing, how these things happen. Um, you know, plenty of electricity used, let's put it that way. Uh, but, I don't think it's really fair to, to do to attack Pat Cummins on this, you know, contractual obligation. It's not like he came out and did this personally. It's, you know, his employer doing it. And this is just something that he has to do. I agree with you. Don't hate the player, hate the game. Um, there's manufacturing costs in terms of if there were physical cards or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily having that worse of an environmental impact. Um, I know a lot of, um, trading card games, like, you know, the, the ones that have TV shows about them and that sort of thing. Um, they're transitioning towards a more online kind of approach and online game kind of approach um, because it's more sustainable in terms of their business. Um, they don't have the printing costs. Um, players can feel like they're progressing better than if they, you know, just gamble on physical, you know, booster packs or anything like that. Um, as a card collector myself, I understand it. And um, there is something special about having a physical card as opposed to having a digital card. But look, if, um, if that's the way it needs to go, then that makes sense to me. And I don't think, I don't think having a go at Pat Cummins for it is really, really necessary. Because yeah, like you said, it's not him. He's not the one who came up with this idea, mm. and he's not he's not the one who decided. Oh yeah, yeah. The 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 online way to go with all these uh these NFTs is 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 the best way for the future. He's not the ideas guy. He's 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 the spokesperson. He's the face. He's not, he's not the brains behind the operation. So I think, I think some fans need to take a step back and just go, okay, if I have an issue with this, who do I actually need to write to, to, to have, have a more proper influence and like actually, you know, actually have some sort of tangible impact rather than just go, oh, I hate Pat Cummins now. Oh, I can't believe you did that. Yeah. So some of the criticism has been around, you know, Pat Cummins is, pretty openly spoken out about the environment and climate change in the past, you know, using that position as Australian captain to try and elicit some kind of change. And then, you know, this comes out um, and then people criticise him because of the environmental stance of NFTs and, and what that does. Uh, I don't think people need to be perfect all of the time. You know, um, you can have 
opinions on something and then, you know, we're all hypocrites at some level, right? We've all got double standards and uh, Pat Cummins is no different, right? He flies around the world playing cricket. Um, like people don't have to be hermits to have an opinion on something. You, you don't have to you know, sit in a, in a bubble and, and live outside of society in, in order to have opinions on what's essentially a, a much bigger issue than, than one person. Yeah, that's my job. I'm here to sit as a hermit and make those judgments. Um, no, obviously, I'm I'm just joking there. But yeah, look, um, I think, A, it's not as substantial of an impact as some people are making it out to be. And B, it's not actually his responsibility, or if anything, it's his responsibility to advocate for it because that's part of his contract and, you know, that's his role as, as captain of Australia. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one issue that... I think is of bigger concern is the ICC linking up with the Saudi Arabian uh, state oil company Aramco. Uh, if you've watched the T20 World Cup, you'll see their signs literally everywhere. I know we're in Australia for this World Cup, but none of the advertising has been targeting Australia. Uh, and also Aramco doesn't sell to consumers. So the idea that you would need to advertise in that way makes no sense. Uh, it's sports washing at the highest level. And to work with Saudi Arabia, who firstly don't play cricket, uh, and secondly, have all these human rights abuses that are well documented uh, is, you know, it's just, it's terrible from the ICC and, and it doesn't really make much sense to me. There's, there's other places where this money could have come from. Yes, but perhaps those other places where the money would, could have come from wouldn't be as accommodating or it wouldn't be as much money. And I think that's ultimately why the decision was made. I'm disappointed with it. I know you're disappointed with it. I mean, the majority of the cricketing fans are disappointed with it. But it's happened now, so I don't know. I guess we just need to wait out the contract and just complain the whole time. <laughs> yeah, so some of the issues that Saudi Arabia have had uh, just in the last few years, so that, uh, a public killing of 81 people this year, uh, the death penalty obviously takes this, Jamal Khashoggi, uh, we're all aware of that, you know, killing a journalist in a, uh, you know, chopped him up essentially. Uh, women can't travel outside of the country by themselves. They still torture people. Religious discrimination is pretty rife and human rights organisations are banned from the country. And as I said, Saudi Arabia don't even play cricket. So the idea that they would want to associate themselves with the ICC doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. And I think the worst part is the ICC sent out an email to all of their accredited journalists uh, last week saying, if you criticise this, uh, we can take away your accreditation for the T20 World Cup. So that is not ideal either. You can't be, um, yeah, that, that's just not how sport should work really. It's also not how press should work, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, press is the fourth estate. Press is supposed to be external to all these things and be able to comment. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously there's definitely influences with different press companies. You know, there's owners who have, you know, different different views. There's stakeholders, you know, you need to appease and that sort of thing. But ultimately the purpose of, you know, journalism, whether it be, you know, print or audio or anything like that, um, is to be the fourth estate and is to try and bring a balanced approach towards what current affair issues are. And this would be a current affair issue. So threatening to take away accreditation is not a good look. Um, and the ICC has been in a bit of trouble with various things like that before. So I think it's, it's a, it's a bad look and it feels like a step backwards. Yeah, absolutely. And are you not going to hear it mentioned anywhere else? Cause people don't want it to have their accreditation taken away, which makes sense. Obviously that's how you make your living. Um, we'll move on though to the Sheffield shield, a little bit of a lighter topic, uh, Pete Hamskin and Matt Renshaw both hit double centuries. Pete Hamskins was, you know, incredible. 280, I think it's 287 in the end. Uh, I was disappointed he didn't quite hold on to the 300, but, um, you know, got to win the game. 
And then Matt Ranshaw, a much slower 200, 200 off 200, uh, 403 balls, I think it was, uh, both putting their hands up for the Indian tour. Yeah, yep, for sure. Um, well, you know, when Renshaw was in the team, he was known as the turtle. So him playing slow was not yep. a surprise. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure whether that's the direction they'll go in. Um, I feel like when they dropped Renshaw, they decided quite firmly that they wanted to go in a different direction in terms of their batting lineup and that sort of thing. But if Renshaw keeps putting up scores like this, then, you know, he's definitely someone you need to talk about. Um, I always felt like Hanscom was hard done by. Um, with Australia like no matter what format he was in he always did his best he always ended up being one of the better performers on the team but just you know he didn't he didn't have that same that same big score potential as some of the other other players had and I guess that's kind of ultimately why they decided to to move away from him but I think he's a good influence to have I think he's a good player and um, he adds that little bit of versatility because he can keep as well if if you know you need a backup keeper and that sort of thing you don't need to select two wicket keepers in the squad as we have been with Inglis and Carey you can select Carey and Hanscom yeah I don't think Australia is uh, short on wicket keepers but uh, you know, Peter Hanscom has two test centuries at an average of 38. They're, they're pretty good numbers, really. And Matt Renshaw has that 180 as well. So, like, they're both accomplished at test level, have done it in the past. And as you said, we're unlucky. You know, averaging 38, that's um, that's pretty good numbers. There's Travis Head areas, and he doesn't get dropped, does he? So, yeah, unlucky from Hanscom. I think, you know, they're both, their games are both well-suited for India. Uh, David Warner's also not going to be around forever at the top of the order. They'll need someone to replace replace him and Renshaw's gone back up to the top of the order for Queensland. So um, I think that's kind of where he's got his eye going forward. Obviously there's a few other options as well, Henry Hunt and, and Pukowski, but we'll see what happens there. Uh, the other one was, we'll go back to the Queensland game. Uh, they played New South Wales and New South Wales had a couple of wickets to, uh, to lose. Oh, sorry. Queensland were 16 runs away from victory when the, the umpires took the players off a bad line. The uh, New South Wales players ran off nice and quickly, took their shoes off and made sure they were definitely not coming back on. Yeah, um, well, you know, I suppose we saw Hanscom do it earlier in the season. Um, so I guess it's it's a tactic now in terms of Australian domestic cricket. So it's something that they're going to do. Um, I feel like at that point, you could probably bring in DRS and go, okay, Queensland win. But, um, you know, they, it doesn't necessarily operate that way. So, you know, um, that's the approach they took. I don't agree with that choice. I think it's a little bit ridiculous. I think if you're going to lose, lose with honour. But, um, you know, they're looking at points and they're looking at finals. So that's why they did what they did. Yeah, got to get the win. That's for sure. And uh, unlucky for Queensland, probably should have uh, declared a little bit earlier. I think that, that would have been the plan. Uh, and the other one to touch on, we'll go over Tasmania and South Australia, a game where not a lot happened. Tasmania chased down a big score in the final innings, 250-odd or something like that. But Caleb Jewell, who's already hit a couple hundreds in the season, hit another one and uh, an underrated Sheffield Shield player, it seems. Yeah, Jewell is the, uh, is the form batter in the Sheffield Shield and um, the form batter in terms of, you know, longer form um, Australian domestic cricket. And, um, you know, if he keeps putting up performances like this, and we said this last time we spoke about him, then he should be in the conversation of Australian selection. He's, um, he's taken that next step and um, he, he's looking really sharp. But I suppose they, they look at him and they look at what happened with Marcus Harris and they have that reluctance. They shouldn't, 
but I understand sort of the mindset behind that being maybe it's too soon or maybe he's not the right player or that sort of thing. But look, I think players um, at the international level should be selected by form and by his form, he should be selected. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting Australia A lineup uh, when they play some games. I think the Prime Minister's 11 is also going to get selected and that's a four-day game. These are guys that should all be in that squad, I think, and, and they can battle it out to see who's who's on top. You mentioned Marcus Harris. He also hit a century for uh, Victoria. Once again, if, uh, if hitting Sheffield Shield hundreds was a sport, he'd be number one, but it's not. He's terrible at test cricket, so stop picking him. Uh, but that'll do us for the week. We'll call stumps on the episode. Make sure you're following the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Top Edge Podcast. Callum, where can people find you on the social media? Yep, I'm on Twitter at Callum underscore Logie. Perfect. You find me at Rory underscore Dennis. Make sure you leave a rating or a review or both uh, on all your favorite podcast platforms and check out edgeofthecrowd.com for some writing during the week. We'll have previews of the Australian games, including the matchups that you need to look at before the game gets kicked off. Uh, For now, though, we'll say goodbye and we'll see you all next week.